0: Welcome to today's podcast, Price Transparency and No Surprise Billing Act, and what it means for the TPAs. This program is brought to you by the Healthcare Administrators Association, HCAA. For over 40 years, HCAA has supported third party administrators and the self insured employer industry through educational opportunities from leading industry experts. For information on joining HCAA, please visit our website at hcaa.org. I'm your host, Ramesh Kumar, and I'm on a mission to bring value to the healthcare industry through improved transparency. And my goal from this podcast is to give you one aha moment that you can implement in your business, whether you're a TPA, broker, or an employer. In my day job, I run a company called Zaki Point Health, that brings self insured employers and their employees find meaning from their healthcare data. Please like or share this podcast on your favorite podcasting tool so we can bring together a community of like minded professionals. Before we begin, I would like to bring you a word from our sponsor, WEX. Wax strives to make managing and using healthcare benefit accounts surprisingly simple. They do this through their cloud-based and award-winning healthcare financial technology platform. In addition to supporting thousands of the most sophisticated plan designs for the entire suite of consumer-directed healthcare, Wex platform also streamlines the funding, purchasing, and payment processes required for informed healthcare financial decision-making. Learn how Wex simplifies benefits for everyone at wexinc.com. Today, we have Matthew Albright, Chief Legal Officer at Zealous, to break down what TPAs must do to comply with Price Transparency and No Surprise Billing Act. You will get clarity on three main requirements, Price Transparency Tool, Advanced Explanation of Benefits, and what you need to put on your web portals. So let's dig into it.
1: Welcome Matthew Albright, I'm so excited to have you here today to talk about price transparency, a topic a lot of people have been thinking about and worried about. I'm actually really excited, I listened to you on one of these webinars and I thought immediately I've got to have Matthew on this, not only based on your experience and expertise in this area, you are Chief Legislative Officer at Zealous, a company that is well aware of what's going on with the healthcare payments world, but also I got excited because you had spent some time here in Cambridge and some of the area, so I thought it would be good to connect with you, Matthew. So tell our audience why we should listen to you when it comes to
2: price transparency. <laughs> well thats that's a great question and and thank you, Ramesh. I appreciate you all taking some time and, and talking through this. It's a very interesting subject. A lot has come down the pike in the last year, so I get very excited talking to new groups and getting new ideas on how people are are reading the law. I've been working for Zealous as their Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for the last five years. In fact, since they announced uh, they were going to be Zealous. Before that, I was with CAQH Core, and they Uh were the group that wrote the operating rules for the electronic funds transfer and the electronic remittance advice transactions. They also have provider enrollment Utility, which uh, some of your listeners may be aware of. Before that, I was actually with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services with CMS, and Mm. I was working there on some of the regulations under Obamacare. Wow, fantastic. um, Yeah, well, (laughs) I don't know. Some of your listeners may not find that to be fantastic, but uh, I do think that gave me a certain sense. I've worked on both sides of the fence, right? As a regulator, uh, trying to write the rules around statutes, which are often very vague that Congress comes up with, and then be the regulator that kind of tries to think through how to operationalize that and really implement it. Uh, and so certainly the No Surprises Act and the transparency and coverage rules that we're looking at today, there's going to be a lot more regulations and, and guidance coming out. And, and I'm sure the regulators are, are struggling with that. So I was at CMS. And then before that, I was also wrote regulations for Washington State. Uh, for okay. their uh, healthcare authority. So I've been kind of uh, writing <laughs> regulations before that. And, and before that, I was a philosophy teacher. So there's my, uh, here's the, the history of uh, why people may want to listen to me. But certainly, I'm always learning new things. So I'm open to uh, critiques. Go ahead.
1: So I like So we're going to focus today on price transparency, not on the maybe surprise billing uh, topic for another day. But uh, since you're a philosophy teacher, and you have sat on the side of the in a regulator, maybe tell us for our listeners, what is the intent? What is the goal? How should we internalize as people are working in the field, this price transparency regulation that's coming up in January of next year, uh, 2022, and then there are some enhanced things uh, the year after?
2: Right. So I think it's a great question. And um, certainly, you know, when you're reading these laws and these regulations, all these requirements, sometimes the intent gets lost, and and sometimes the intent is even blocked maybe by some of the provisions and the things that have to be set for it. But I think the intent of the transparency regulations and the requirements and the no surprises rule that are related to that is is one that we can all get around. It's that idea that we live in a capitalistic society, but here's one industry where you don't know the cost of the service that you're buying. Or you have a very vague idea. And there's no other industry where how much things cost is not only hidden, but there's a real mystery. And there's a mystery to people who work in the industry too, of like how those prices are actually arrived at and what they represent and what's real. And what's what are we making up for a, a Medicare that's not paying enough? So I think that idea that as consumers, as patients, That idea of transparency is one that certainly consumers get behind. I think most TPAs and self-insured employer groups can get behind and and certainly Mm -hmm. uh, even hospitals can get behind that idea Mm -hmm. that, you know, we really need to know, especially since many of us have very high deductible health plans, starting to be our own money. uh, Mm -hmm. And it's also starting to Mm -hmm. be a lot of taxpayers money as well. So it's really Mm -hmm. kind of an industry is like, let's let those capitalistic economic forces shape the market more in healthcare, care. And, and to do that, let's make price transparency easier for the consumers. All that being said, of course, right, that's the great idea of the politicians. I'll add, you know, this is bipartisan, right? So the Trump administration basically took a sentence in the uh, Affordable Care Act and Obamacare. They took a sentence on transparency and they wrote a whole you know, four different regulations on it. So the Trump administration mm. grabbed it and they're running with it and certainly the Biden administration supports transparency as well. So we're looking at three uh, administrations, bipartisan support in Congress. And again, it's that support of the intent. When it gets down to uh, what is actually being required of hospitals and health plans, then things get interesting because there can be some argument that some of the things that the, the industry is being required to do will actually be an obstacle to lower healthcare costs or be an obstacle to transparency. But we can set that aside for another day. There's the intent, though, I think, of the transparency. Got it. And while we're on the topic of intent, do you envision this
1: to get the buyers of healthcare, whether that's the self insured employer or even health plans, to have a better understanding and use it wisely to buy healthcare? Or is it even the consumer under the high deductible plans will start to pay attention? Where do you see this happening?
2: So I think it's both. Certainly the initial triggering intent or goal was to get it in the hands of the consumers and to see if, once the consumers had that information, how market forces may lower healthcare prices overall. What the requirements that are being put out, it's very clear that, frankly, we're going to have a whole new industry emerging that's going to be crunching all of this price data that's going to be available, made available both by the hospitals and by the health plans under these requirements. And so, There's going to be a lot of analytics. There's going to be a lot of, I'd say, soul searching on the industry, both on the payer side and the provider side, because there's going to be a tremendous amount of data out there. Certainly, we're going to see third party apps, mobile apps pick up that data and try and create tools for consumers to make that easy. You layer this around the interoperability rules, especially Mm -hmm. the information blocking rules, which are basically the transparency mirror of the transparency rule, but for clinical data, right? Allowing Mm -hmm. uh, patients Mm -hmm. and consumers Mm -hmm. to have that clinical data. So you Mm -hmm. can imagine that Mm -hmm. pretty soon we're going to have, assuming all these requirements come to fruition, is you're gonna have on your mobile app, uh, one or two apps, which will not only track your clinical information and have all your uh, access to your electronic health records and organized, right? But also pricing information and with what's being required, you'll be able to look at it like an Amazon or like a kayak where you can look at 10 different hospitals and for 10 different items or services for a particular procedure. And you'll be able to see very instantaneously where that information is. So I think we're looking at a whole new industry and certainly hospitals are already publishing the negotiated rates. There are groups out there and Certainly, if you're a player and you want to think about this right now is either thinking through, you know, what kind of analytics that you yourself can get from some of that mm-hmm. information that's out there uh, or think about who you can access that would have that information right now you can start scraping the hospitals aren't that compliant yet, but you can start scraping those negotiated rates. And that will give TPAs, employer groups, a good sense of what other payers, what some of the national carriers are, what their negotiated rates are. So mm. the point is, mm. to make it? this is this is going to be used by providers as well when they think through their contracts, uh, by payers mm-hmm. when they're thinking through their contracts. You think about, you know, one of the requirements we'll talk about it is these machine-readable files. Those machine-readable files are completely unreadable by consumers. And the regulators meant it that way. They're just tremendous amounts, reams and reams of data that both health plans and hospitals have to make public. There's no way a consumer can make heads or tails of that. And the regulators Mm. say, yeah, well, it's not meant for the consumers. It's meant for the third party app developers. It's meant for analytic groups. It's also meant for the regulators. So they Mm. can get a better sense of where healthcare pricing is and where the the soft spots are in uh, decreasing healthcare costs.
1: So, so let's maybe take now to the next level. What should a TPA or a broker or a self-insured employer keep in mind for the regulation from price transparency point of view? Is there a framework if you could bucketize for us for January of next year and the January of the year after? What are the things they need to keep in mind?
2: Good. So that's a great point to start for, you know, what has to be done by January 1st, 2022. I think one of the Big, I don't know if you call it misdirection out there, but you've got to deal with requirements that are in the transparency and coverage rule. This is the rule under the Trump administration. It was published in October, and then everybody, I think, is now aware that the No Surprises Act was then passed into law in December. But We think sometimes the No Surprises Act only has to do with out-of-network claims and these circumstances, emergency circumstances of balance billing a patient. And and for providers and and payers, we may be thinking, oh, well, that's just a small, No Surprises Act is only talking about a small slice of our claims, right? And and we don't have to think too much about it. But within the No Surprises Act, there's three requirements, which are fairly heavy lifts for both payers Mm -hmm. and in some cases, providers that they have to think about for January 1st. So for January 1st, think about both what's in the transparency and coverage rule and what's in the No Surprises Act. And when we push those two together, there's really three main, I'd say projects or issues or kind of solutions that TPAs need to think about uh, for compliance. You ready for those three? (laughs) Yes, let's hear it. Number one. Number one. Uh, The machine-readable files, which is actually three smaller requirements, right? But the machine-readable files, which I I just talked about there, these are these data dumps. And we can talk about what those three are. Um, Data dumps, publicly available data on what you've been paying both in-network and out-of-network. The second big solution or or project is the advanced explanation of benefits. Uh, This came out of the No Surprises Act. It's very interesting because unlike other transparency requirements we've seen in the past, this one requires the provider and the payer to work in tandem to come up with an advanced, a pre-estimate for patients, for consumers, or for members, Right in this case, of what certain procedures or items are going to cost. And we certainly should talk a lot more about that because that's not getting a Mm -hmm. lot of news. That's not getting a lot of highlight, but I think it's going to be one of the more burdensome. It's basically a brand new administrative transaction uh, for health plans Mm -hmm. and providers. Third bucket are the price comparison cost sharing tools. And both the No Surprises Act and the Transparency and Coverage Rules, both of them had this requirement that every plan have a tool that's on the web page, website where their members could go Uh, type in a service, type in a procedure, and they'd get a list of providers, what the estimated cost might be, what their cost sharing would be for each. So all three of those Mm -hmm. are due January 1st. Now, a little caveat here, all right? So for at least two of those, machine readable files, January 1st, 2022, that's when it's all gonna go down. The other two, the Advanced Explanation of Benefits, and the price transparency tool, right? The price comparison tool, both of those heavy lifts, we're waiting for more regulations that will maybe explain what needs to be done on January 1st. And what we're hoping and what industry is kind of pushing on the regulators to do, pushing on the Biden administration to do is ease up because this is a tremendous lift to get these three things in place for January 1st, so maybe think about phasing them in, maybe having some small requirements due January 1st, or having enforcement discretion, where yes, January 1st is the quote effective date, but you're not going to enforce compliance for maybe a year or two, so we're we're pushing on that, and so there's more to come on that, but Mm. as it's written now, uh, the law says January 1st, you have to have these three issues solved. OK,
1: so let's maybe dig into each one of those one at a time. Yep. So machine readable available on the health plan's website, where That's you right. just download the data dump of what the plan has paid to a provider A for a procedure. An average of that, just one price point.
2: Let's take each of the files separately. So. This part of the law requires three machine readable files. The first machine readable file is for in network rates. And so the idea there is just as you said, on a per provider, on a specific provider basis, on a specific item and service basis, you're going to put what the negotiated rate is. And that should be a fee schedule. That should be a static fee schedule. Now, We can get into the dirt a little bit. It could also be what they're calling a derived amount, but let's set that aside for right now. The expectation is that you've got like a static number, a static discount that you give this particular provider. And even if you've never paid for that service with that provider, you still have to list the provider, right? And then say what Mm -hmm. the negotiated rate is. That's Mm -hmm. the in-network. So that's static. And that's in contrast to the out-of-network file, the allowed amount out-of-network file, which is supposed to be a historical look back at what was actually paid. Mm
0: -hmm. So this
2: is the case where you go three months back, and then the three months before that is what you're supposed to calculate how much was paid out-of-network to a particular out-of-network provider for a particular product or service. So in that case, Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. That's about an average of what was paid so out of network facility x you had 22 of your members go for a colonoscopy there those 22 you average it out and that's the number you would plug in that out of out of network allowed the third Mm -hmm. readable file is the prescription drug file and actually if you look at that then that has a little bit of both both the static Mm. Uh, fees that are paid and then also a historical look back that same kind of three months back and then you take the three months before that. All three of these should be updated every month. And so one can imagine that the in-network rate probably won't change very much, uh, but mm-hmm. the out-of-network may because it's a historical look back.
1: Got it. So that must have January 1st, 2022. You've got to have it. That's right.
2: And, and uh, again, I'll, I'll right. put the caveat here a little bit. Hospitals were supposed to have their machine-readable files done January 1st of this year, right? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. And, and I don't know if you've seen the headlines, but, but they are not moving to compliance very quickly. I think they took a survey of the top 100 hospitals, and only a third of them had their machine-readable files in a compliant manner up on their websites. And so it looks like CMS and the federal government's kind of turning their head in terms of compliance. On the other hand, just last week or the week before... Bipartisan lawmakers wrote a note to CMS and said, stop fooling around, start enforcing this. We want to see this data in publicly available prices. So there again is that bipartisan kind of political of motivation Sorry. to get things done. But
1: So maybe after four months, we might start to see this yeah. happen. That's exactly right. Of it
2: all. And I just hope that the CMS gives the payer the same kind of wink, wink, nod, nod. It gives them the kind of latitude to, to get used to all this, right? But
1: Yeah. Got it. Now the second and the third buckets that you talked about where there's an effort going on to get some easing of the rules here. Let's kind of go into, you talked about the transparency comparison, price comparison, uh, which is a third bucket. Maybe let's drill down into that.
2: What do, what do we need to provide? What, do, what does the TPA need to provide on a web portal? So there's a slight difference in what the No Surprises Act says compared to what the Transparency and Coverage Act says, but basically where members need to be able to bring up on your website, or it could be another website as long as it's easily found is linked to, needs to be able to type in a service or even a CPT code. And from that, a list of providers will come up and there should be cost estimates associated with each of those providers. And as well, and this is more of the no surprises act, there should be cost sharing involved. In other words, that particular member, what's their accumulated amounts toward their deductible. So how much mm. is this going to hit their deductible? Now, there's other parts of the search engine. You should also be able to you know, type in the service that you're looking for and your geographical region that you're looking for. And that should be able to come up as well. My understanding is there's a number of large carriers we probably noticed have some of these tools already. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly for a small TPA or for small employer groups, this is a, a tremendous lift. We've heard that it's much easier to get a vendor, somebody who knows how to put these tools together from the outside. I would say that the job really, and this is the job not just for the price transparency tool, but also for the machine readable files and for the advanced DOB, your first kind of step is to look at what data you do have. Within your walls and and what systems do you have them in? And I would imagine, especially for the smaller employer group plans and the TPAs, that a lot of that data may be someplace else. It may be in a vendor. You may have you mm-hmm. know leased your networks from a third party, or you might mm-hmm. send out you're out of networks for repricing. right? So this mm-hmm. is, um, uh, And so that's your kind of first gap analysis is to see what you have internally, what you can do internally. And what do you need to, as of tomorrow, start working with your vendors and your partners who have that data and figure out how they're gonna share that data with you. Is it possible for them to, they've got most of your out of network data, can they set up the machine readable files uh, for you uh, so you can like leave that aside, right? So that first gap analysis, I think is, the, is a great place to start for transparency. Then you'll know who you have to talk to and then you'll know what obstacles you may have in pulling that information or whether you wanna hire somebody else to pull that information together, right? So a couple of steps they could take, which is great, but I also wanna clarify
1: what needs to be there January of next year. You mentioned price comparison and to the CPT code, you get the provider, list of providers and at provider A, it is $780. At provider B, it is $950. That's one element, but there's also if I'm on a deductible plan, where I'm supposed to pay an X percent, or, and I've only reached certain deductible. So it should also show not just the seven eighty dollars for that code, but the one hundred fifty dollars that I will have to pay as an individual patient.
2: That's exactly those two
1: right. calculations need to be there. That's exactly right. That's exactly right.
2: Now again, it's quite a lot. My caveat there is especially for that particular transparency rule and for the advanced DOB, um, very eager to see what the regulators say, because as you say, that's gonna be a tremendous lift. And, and mm. I suggest that probably what they're going to require is something basic set up on January 1st and then maybe phased in in terms of robustness. Got and to it, yeah, all the requirements. got it. So, but according well, that, to how the law reads now, that's, that's what's necessary.
1: Got it. So based on what's there in the the regulation. Now, the third bucket around advanced EOB,
2: please clarify. So advanced EOB, this is very interesting. Like I said, it's a whole new kind of transaction. And I think this is arguably really good for consumers. On the other hand, it's clear when politicians and the Congress people were writing this, they really had no idea (laughs) how big a lift and how big a change this would be. I mean, they only had two or three paragraphs on what they wanted in this 360-page law, but it's really the biggest thing, probably, Mm -hmm. in the transparency requirements to think through. And what it is, is we talk about intent. And one of the arguments against transparency rules is, hey, if you have this price transparency tool that you look up and you have all these machine-readable files, they say, the consumers aren't going to look at it anyway. Like, yeah. right? We as Americans, we don't think about our health, and we don't can't be bothered, and we only spend 15 minutes choosing our benefits and three hours choosing our Netflix, you know, favorite list, right? Like, <laughs> you say, it won't wor- happen in America because Americans don't think they don't. They're they're not like geared to thinking about healthcare like they do about hotels or books or whatever else you have, right? So this advanced EOB kind of undercuts that argument because what it's requiring is that automatically when a patient makes an appointment for any healthcare service or item within three days, that patient will receive an advanced explanation of benefits or an advanced estimate of not only how much the provider is going to charge, but how much is your health plan going to pick up and how much might you have to pay given your current deductibles and your current co-pays and co-insurance right so Mm -hmm. suddenly, here is not uh, where me as the consumer has to go someplace and type something in because i'm trying to shop right here's where it's being pushed towards me and i'm being told hey you've got something to do next week you're going for a procedure next week this is what the provider said it's going to cost and this is what's going to cost you that is a whole new way of thinking about transparency and if you think about How the mobile app developers and third-party app developers, you can see that you'll get a text a week before your procedure, and the text will have this is how much you're going to cost, and Mm -hmm. there will be decisions made right by that consumer based on that. They're going to either cancel their procedure, they may shop someplace Mm -hmm. else. It'll certainly Mm -hmm. like be sticker shock if it's out of network, right? And Mm -hmm. there might be some Mm -hmm. billing Mm -hmm. balance billing involved. So there's the advanced EOB, and the way the no Surprises Act sets it up is they say, within one day of any appointment, uh, the provider has to send, all they have to send is a good faith estimate to the member's insurer, to the patient's benefits company, right? So within one day, that's what the provider has to do. The law makes no distinction between one provider and the other. So this is in network, this is out of network, this is hospitals, this is your family physician for your yearly checkup, it looks as though right now the way the law is written, it's all healthcare services uh, by a provider. And then the health plan then gets that good faith estimate. And from that good faith estimate, the health plan has to shoot uh, an advanced EOB, or if you will, an advanced estimate, a pre-estimate that says, hey, this is what the provider says they charge for this service. This is what our either negotiated rate is, or this is what we expect to pay for out of network and this is what your cost sharing is estimated to be. Now, Mm -hmm. it's also, the rule makes clear, all sorts of caveats, right? They can put all sorts of disclaimers, like this does not guarantee that this is what actually Mm -hmm. charged, this does not guarantee Mm -hmm. that your your service is gonna go as planned, it could be complex, it could be much more expensive, but you could could put all those disclaimers. But the intent there is that uh, within three days of an appointment, the uh, member has a readout of what he or she is going to is going to pay.
1: So three days prior to the appointment, that message information needs
2: to sent to the patient. That's right. That's right. So provider has one day, health plan has one day, and around. The exception to that is if the appointment is made for a service that's two weeks away, three weeks away, then the provider has three days and the health plan has three days. So if it's far enough away, then it doesn't have to be that two day turnaround. But if it's got within it. two weeks, two day turnaround. And then there's a gap in the law where if the appointment is made for a service that's only three days away, then it's not required. The advanced DOB is not required. There's no time for it. it, can't be done. And of course, emergency situations as well. Right. So
1: got it. Fantastic. This is really helpful. So, you know, as you kind of with your experience, you have said machine readable is gonna be there, you've got to do it. TPA should run out there and try to make all of this available if they have it in their closed world or not. Where else should they turn to? What is out there? You mentioned analyze it. Should they go to the claims adjudication partners? What are your kind of recommended
2: steps? Absolutely go to your claim adjudication partners, right? And so I'll, I'll use zealous as an example. For many clients and for our smaller clients especially, where they use all of our services, they use our payments, right? And they use our out-of-network solutions. So we have a lot of experience with their out-of-network claims, right? We do have a lot of data there, right? So we do have a lot of data because all of the payments go through our payment system. So using Zealous as a kind of analogy, think through which vendors you use that touch Mm -hmm. your claims and might have that information, and there might be a couple of vendors right who have are, are touching the same information right and then start conversations with them about hey are you all doing something for this are you thinking about sharing it with us make sure you share it with us right however just start those conversations you know depending on the client and you know every client is almost different for us as i imagine everybody in terms of tpas and employer groups where they might just only do 40% of their payments through us and someplace else, right? So each one's Mm. different, but certainly where we have a lot of the information, we're raising our hand and saying, well, there's a possibility that we'll build that out-of-network machine readable file for you. We'll build it. You just link to us and that'll Mm. be a part of the services that we offer. In other cases, you may think that you want to do it in your own walls because you have more of that information. The thing that I will say is that there are vendors out there. There are companies who are very good at setting up or setting up the user interface and all that for the price transparency tool. And we've seen it on the market already. Machine readable files, the open West, like that's never been required. Right. And so there's no, Mm -hmm. there's no machine readable file vendors out there selling their wares. Right. So you really do have to work with your partners and think, well, how are we going to pull this together? I think once it's set up, and once you know where the data is going and the data flows, then probably the monthly maintenance won't be too bad, but setting it up and figuring out where all that data is coming from, that's your first step. And again, it won't be an outside vendor. It'll be an outside vendor who maybe says, yeah, we can do that. It's not our main primary service that we're offering, but since we have your data, we can do it.
1: Got it. Now, we're you talked about machine-readable stuff, but the other couple of areas of advanced EOB, is that something Zealous is providing or supporting in
2: this change? We're thinking through a lot of the advanced EOB just because it's a whole new transaction. So on the one hand, what Zealous has through our red card that I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with, we have a big printing press that prints out regular EOBs, right? Mm -hmm. It prints out Mm -hmm. insurance cards. And so we have this big printing thing. And so on the one hand, just on that idea of, once you figure out what needs to be in this EOB, certainly you've got to work with your vendor that prints all your EOBs out. We also do digital EOBs. So you probably have a vendor who does the same, can do either paper or or regular EOBs, right? So just for that kind of practical communications bit, we're certainly thinking that, and it could be, I mean, if this thing takes off, you could have two or three times the amount of EOBs going through the system that you do right now, right? I'll just add another part of the rule. I said, every time an appointment's made, the other thing that the law allows is, I can request as a consumer, as a member, I can request it from the provider, even if I'm not gonna make an appointment. So my provider says to me, hey, you need an MRI. I can pick up the phone, call three different facilities and say, hey, uh, why don't you work up a good faith estimate, shoot it to my insurer, and then within a week, I can expect three different pre-estimates and EOBs in front of me. So you think about that, right? There's going to be a lot of pre-OBs EOBs where <laughs> pre-OBs pre-OBs where there's not going to be ever a service, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's going to yeah. be 200 advanced EOBs and only 75 services that actually get carried through. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah, So that's a lot of EOBs. So on the one hand, it's the communication, but we're also trying to think about maybe we can put together a pre-estimate where. It doesn't even have to come to the TPA's system, right? Like maybe we have enough data. And the other thing is how to make that communication. What is the transmission that the providers are going to send to the health plan, right? So Mm -hmm. I would suggest to your listeners, you know, start thinking about how you communicate with certainly your in-network providers now. Do you have a portal that they use? Is there some kind of communication? And start to think of whether that's the rail that you use the advanced EOB. So we're trying to think through those advanced those rails, not to get in the weeds a little bit here, but in dentistry, there's already a predetermination, yeah. a pre-estimate. And that's through the 837, the X-12 electronic claim. So my understanding is that there's an opportunity to use the 837, a little clunky, right? But there's an opportunity to use the 837 for that predetermination, for that pre-estimate so that the adjudication system reads it as just an estimate and not as an actual claim. And so, We're thinking about how Zealous fits in that space and how, other than printing out the EOBs, how maybe we can move into um, setting up that connection.
1: So our our listeners should certainly get in touch with you and your team if they are trying (laughs) to figure this out. Got it. So that's the second area. And then the third bucket is the whole transparency tool, calculating your real-time, how much you will pay, where should people go, and is there much being done out there? is there a gap there in the market?
2: So I I would say there are a lot of vendors. To me, I think there's plenty of vendors who are out there selling their price transparency tools. And by that, I mean, they're selling their interfaces, they're selling their, they might have some data too that they can dip into. But I do think of all the transparency requirements, there's one where that's a, a part, a niche of the industry that People have been working on for a while, and they've kind of figured out some of the things there. So that one, in terms of contracting it out and vending it out, is probably not going to be as difficult, right? Like that's been thought through, and they'll know exactly what kind of data they need and how to plug it in. So that may be easier, uh, though. I have no sense of how much that costs or what the vendors are and and things like that. Zealous is probably not going to get into that space in terms of building the interface because we're more interested in how to get the data shaped up, right? Got it. Got it. This is great. I think uh, very practical here.
1: Let's kind of fast forward this a year and maybe four years out. What do you see happening post this transparency regulation and all the tools being made available?
2: Well, I, I think this is the gazillion dollar question. These are the kind of questions I'd love to have an open forum, right? To hear from your listeners what they think, but some things to think about, right? Is kind of what we've touched on already. Once consumers have all this information, once all the TPAs and payers and carriers have all this information, once the hospitals have all this information, it's gonna be what the transparency will say is it's gonna be a level playing field. Everybody's Mm -hmm. gonna have the same information. And I think there's gonna be some serious impact to certainly contract negotiations It'd be very interesting to see what happens to the in network out of network uh, tension there right does that mean that out of network because of the advanced eob because of the prohibition on balanced billing is are more providers going to work harder to come in network are they going to stay out there and right what's what's the shift going to be there and certainly absolutely some questions about pricing on how much hospitals are going to be charging for things. Uh, you, mm. You're seeing the stories already come out, which is exactly again the intent of these transparency rules, where within the same system, you have one procedure, and the carrier has a huge discount, and the employer groups or TPAs have a teeny tiny discount. And the discrepancy between mm. those two discounts are just like startling. They're like staggering. Mm. And you wonder mm. why, why is one group? So spending $10 and the other group spending $500, right? Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think that the political discourse now is, oh, is there going to be a public option, Medicare public option, progressives want Medicare for all. Right under our feet, these initiatives, the transparency initiative, the interoperability initiative, these, these are going to change the face of healthcare. They're going to change how things are done. Substantially, I wish I was one of those smarter futurists <laughs> that could say <laughs> where we're all going to look like in five or ten years. But I think it's important to note that uh, absolutely, your listeners should start thinking: what does this mean in the long term, and mm-hmm. how can we get up in front of it? How can how can we use all this information for our own market edge, right? To for our own competitive edge, instead of mm-hmm. seeing this as certainly you have to see it as requirements for compliance and checking the box, but also you know. Think about advanced EOB, how you can steer patients. Here, you've got a pre-service communication uh, to a patient who's planning a procedure or an appointment someplace. You can pack a lot in that communication about where you want that member to go, what you want that member to think about, any added benefits or you know wellness pluses that might give them better deductions or it's opening up a communication with members and your listeners that maybe wasn't there before. Good way to move everybody to digital. If you're spending a lot of money on sending paper to members, move them to their portals, move them. So I think this is going to have a significant impact.
1: This is huge. I think mean, you've touched on two very simple but insightful areas. One, all this variance in prices, whether that's even within a health plan for the ASO business versus their fully insured business or within a region, for, uh, region providers charging differently. Uh, It's all of that, variance is going to start to come down and hopefully we'll start to see standardization of pricing. The other is the ability to, if you can do this at scale, provide these advanced EODs, whether it's digitally or otherwise, you know, three days prior to the appointment or even much earlier, Mm -hmm. you can engage the member in a whole host of different decision making. Maybe not even do that surgery after all, or maybe try these four other steps beforehand before you actually do the surgery or just the fact that you are shopping and checking and then you're more of an informed patient just like we do for Netflix or other decisions it can really open up a completely different way the consumers can make decisions about healthcare. that would put a lot of pressure on providers who otherwise I would argue had a very engaged population whatever you as a physician or a hospital system you said to a patient like okay yeah I'll come on that day. Now we're going to create a lot of competing forces. So I think
2: A lot could change. I, I think that's exactly right. You bring up a point that actually hadn't really hit me until you just said it. But the advantage of the advanced EOB is it's not the provider communicating with the member, with the patient. It's the health plan communicating. So it's through the filter of whatever the health plan wants to say about that particular mm-hmm. set scheduled surgery. And I love the mm-hmm. Netflix analogy because that's exactly right, because you say, oh, we see you're choosing this provider X to do this. Have you also thought about you know, our yeah, wellness yeah. program? Have you also thought about watching this movie? right? <laughs> or yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Or have yeah. you thought about moving to this plan next year because your benefits might be better under this plan, this HSA or whatever, right? Here's the calculation if you had had a high deductible health plan other than the, the plan that you have. So interesting that suddenly payers, TPAs, employer groups, are also more involved in their members' decisions, right? Because they're- Absolutely, this is it. great. How can our listeners get hold of you, Matt? You can uh, reach out to me uh, through Zealous. I don't know if I'm allowed to give, should I give out my email address? Is that appropriate? If you, if you want to, if not, if not, that's totally okay. So, you know, reach Except out to you. Zealous. Uh, certainly if you're a client of Zealous already, reach out to your account manager and we'll set up something through them. If you're not a client of Zealous, then uh, reach out to anybody at Zealous, but you can reach out to me, Matthew Period Albright at zealous.com. And and certainly happy to talk to you. It doesn't even have to be about Zealous products. We can just talk about, uh, like we're talking about here, just kind of an educational uh, overview. Always happy to talk about it. Always good to get everybody on the same page. A lot of these decisions we have to make as an industry. So thinking through uh, Advanced DOB and how we as an industry can all do the same thing to make it easier for all of us. Uh, Those are good discussions to have. So that's how you do it. I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, you can find me through my name, shoot me a memo, shoot me a message through LinkedIn. Happy to help.
1: Sounds great. No, this is great. Matt, it seems like it's your life's work. You've been involved in regulation at various stages and thinking about this price transfer. And so really exciting moments ahead of us. So thank you for taking the time and sharing your insights.
2: Well, thank you, Ramesh. And, uh, and thank the HCAA, too. Appreciate it. Thank you. And I
0: would like to thank WEX, our sponsor of this show. Please join us again for another podcast in the series brought to you by HCAA's Voices of Self-Funding. Please like and share so we can build a community of like-minded people. And tell us about topics that we should bring to you next. Please watch your email for updates on upcoming guests. I'm your host, Ramesh Kumar of Zaki Point Health.